I work in Tottenham, North London, which as everybody knows is a haven for wildlife. The traffic situation is also a bit wild, so I go by bus. So I like to leave early for work in case I get delayed by burst water mains, drive-by shootings or some other unpredictable event. This means I generally get to spend a few minutes in the car park waiting for the security people to disable the alarms, unlock the doors and do whatever else they do before I can enter the factory. I like to spend this time standing in the car park watching the birds. There are many different birds in and around the company car park and their activities are often very entertaining. Either they are fun to watch or little things please little minds. I am particularly fond of a big fat crow that lives on the top of the chimney from where he can watch everything that goes on on the roof and in the car park below. I like watching the antics of a very large magpie who lives in a nearby scrapyard. It was once described by one of the security guards as as big as a 747, but either he's never seen a 747 close up or he was exaggerating. Nevertheless, visitors parking in the car park see the magpie land on the roof of their car and often seem nervous at the prospect of a dent in the car roof. Staff tended to park elsewhere. Several groups of pigeons live under the shelters over the loading bay at the front. The pigeons enjoy flirting. They like to follow each other around on the ground and then fly up to their roosting places. Sometimes they go looking for food in groups of two or three. One finds some food and then the others go for it. Sometimes the finder gets annoyed and gives the others a peck, but mostly they seem proud to have done the others a favour. I'm not sure a company car park is the best place to look for food, but then I'm not a pigeon. I also like the way the pigeons play What's the Time, Mr Wolf? A bunch of them creeping up on, one, on another, who pretends not to notice them as he pecks at the ground. When the nearest one is pretty close, Mr Wolf turns round and tries to peck him or her. At other times, one will chase another along the edge of the shelter right to the end, and then either the one who is chased will fly to the next shelter, or turn and lunge at the one chasing him. Other visitors are also amused by watching the birds. Sometimes I watch them sitting in their cars or even standing next to the cars if the weather's good, watching the birds before or after they visit the company. I have often overheard them talking about the pigeons or the heron gulls. Several heron gull families live on the roof at the east end of the building, and more live on the building next door. In the summer, the young heron gulls start learning to fly. At first, some of them are very bad at flying. Quite often they actually stall. I've seen them crash to the ground, hit walls, bump into the elder tree. In their attempts, they can only fly very short distances, like across the car park. While in flight, as they struggle to gain height, they whirl their wings round and round in a circular motion. This motion does create a little propulsion, but it's not really all that effective. Experienced gulls don't fly like that. They tilt their wings slightly upward at the front, relax their elbows, or is it wrists, and this makes the air under their wings push them upwards. Their wings rise diagonally through the air to the highest and furthest forward that they can reach. Then they push down hard with their wings almost flat, but with the leading edge below the rest of the wing. This forces their body up and at the same time causes them to accelerate sharply. Two or three flaps will lift them 10 feet and maintain a speed of up to 20 feet per second. As they glide for a while with their wings outstretched wide and curling their tips very tightly to turn left or right. They only need to use a very slight curl 
tip on the outside up the turn, tip on the inside down. When they get to where they're going, they raise the leading edge of their wings till they're almost vertical and stall, dropping a few inches onto their resting place. It all looks effortless. I would love to be able to do it myself. The heron gulls like to watch me too. Sometimes a whole lot of them sit in a row on the parapet looking at me. If I'm wearing brightly coloured clothes, the male gulls like to dive off the top of the building and swoop down on me, shouting squawk, squawk, squawk. When they're about 15 feet away, they pull out of the dive and fly over the boundary wall. It's pretty clear this is intended more to impress the females than to frighten me, as they never actually come close to me. They always choose a dive angle that makes it hard for the rest of the gang to see how close they did get. If I'm wearing dull clothes and standing under the elder tree, which doesn't really hide me at all, they look me in the eye and then ignore me, pretending I'm actually hidden. If I wear a yellow hard hat and high-vis jacket, a whole bunch of them come at me at once, flying in formation like an RAF fighter squadron. It's obviously a game for everyone involved. My colleagues love to watch from the security hut and chat about it in the tea breaks. The crow and the pigeons also like to watch the excitement. The magpie doesn't seem very interested. He's rarely present on these occasions anyway. He's probably taken advantage of the distraction to steal something. Another source of amusement is a bird that lives on the other side of the car park wall. I've never seen it because the wall's about 12 foot high, so I've no idea what it looks like. However, it's learned most of the common mobile phone ringtones. People are often surprised when they get out of their car and hear the phone ringing. Then they look all round for the phone till they eventually discover the sounds coming from over the wall. I've no idea how many realise it's a bird pretending to be a phone. Probably quite a few go away believing it is somebody else with the same ringtone. Once in a while, something really unusual happens. For example, one day I arrived to find a crow, I call him George, sitting in the middle of the parapet across the front of the building. He looked a bright mess. Feathers were sticking out everywhere. He looked like he'd got drunk and got in a fight with several cats. Halfway between him and the east end of the building is one of the female heron gulls. Let's call her Gladys. Gladys is standing upright and looking really smart and shiny, very neat and tidy. She's so upright she reminds me of a champagne bottle. Every so often, Gladys perks herself up, glances at George and says, wuck, wuck, wuck. Then she takes two steps sideways towards George, as if trying to comfort him. Each time, George shakes himself with a little shudder, moves slowly from one foot to the other, and then settles down again. After a few more minutes, Gladys turns towards George and then looks at me and repeats her wuck, 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 and then takes two steps sideways. Each time, she gets closer and closer to George. George takes a look back at her each time and acts unimpressed. Then, suddenly, George has had enough. Without warning, he flies up in the air, dives at Gladys, and for several minutes he pecks and claws at her furiously, squawking like crazy and leaving her looking a complete mess, although not quite as bad as himself. Then he steps to one side, gives one more squawk and flies back to his usual perch on the chimney stack, where he sits very proud of what he's done. Gladys walks slowly back to the east end of the building and the male girls reappear to comfort and protect her. Where were they when she needed them? George disappeared for a few days later and a family of pigeons took over his chimney. I didn't see the gulls over the winter. 
My dad told me they come inland from the sea when the weather's rough, but that's obviously a load of rubbish because in the spring they came back in full force. More than 60 of them arrived in one day. They marked their arrival with a strange ritual, flying in two concentric contra-rotating circles. A few birds were confused about how to do this and bounced from one side to the other, but most kept it up for over 15 minutes, with the two circles sometimes intersecting one above the other, but all the time at least 20 birds in each circle. This year Gladys had settled down. She still likes to stand very upright and very neat and tidy, occasionally peering down her beak at me to see if I'm watching her, and then looking away. But now she has a partner, a serious hench-looking bird with a short, thick beak, who I call Frank. When she goes wuck, 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 Frank looks at her and replies with a single wuck. When she goes wuck, 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 Frank looks at her and replies with a single wuck, and then looks away. However, he's never far from her side. He does not take much notice of me, but when he does see me, he may, if push comes to shove, offer a single squawk. He's obviously not serious and has never made any effort to attack me whatever. He's probably figured that since I'm 30 feet below him, I'm not actually a threat. He's also one of the laziest birds I've ever known. In the afternoon, the happy couple like to sit on a street light, one on top of the pole and the other on the lamp itself. Sometimes they face each other and sometimes they both look the same way, up or down the street. Occasionally one of them gives a half-hearted squawk if any other gulls come too close. One morning in September I arrived to work somewhat late because of another burst water main. It had disrupted the buses again. I greeted one of my colleagues at the gate and he said, Look at your friend over there. At first I thought he was pointing to a smart woman in the window of the factory across the road, but then when a car moved off, I saw something on the floor. It was Gladys, lying on the pavement, stone dead. Frank was nowhere to be seen. I was going to cross the road to look, but a container lorry was approaching and I had to wait for it to pass, and then a line of cars that had been stuck behind it. In this short time, the road sweeper had come along and removed her body. I read in the newspaper that some birds conduct funerals for their dead, but I didn't see the heron gulls doing it. But perhaps the street sweeper removing the corpse left behind made a requiem mass impossible. Life goes on. There are other gulls on other lampposts. However, for some reason, the gulls sit on all the other lamps and not the one that used to be used by Gladys and Frank. Perhaps I'm not the only one that remembers them. It's a sad ending for such a young bird. And for me, it was also the end of an era. I'm no longer work there. Whenever I pass that way, I'll always remember Frank and Gladys.